0: All right. As we heard before in First Peter, that's where we're at. Um, What have we been talking about in First Peter? We've been in this book for uh, several weeks now. What what are we? uh, What are we talking? What are we talking about here? Well, first, I mean, who's Peter writing to? Um, We heard that he was writing to those that are dispersed, right? And is this is this Jews and Gentiles? Most likely, yeah. So he's writing to Jews and Gentiles dispersed into a different area um, Asia, uh, Bithynia, as his first verse there reads, Cappadocia, Galatia, this area, this, um, Asia Minor. And so Peter's writing to these folks. Um, and now, uh, are these followers of Christ? Yes. Okay, good. Somebody's listening. Somebody's on board. We're, yes. We're writing to, Peter's writing to dispersed followers of Christ in these places. And what's he saying? What's he, what's he, what's he uh, telling them? Is he saying bad news or good news? Good news. We're hearing good news. We're hearing the rehearsal of the gospel. And what we've heard now in the last several weeks, we're hearing the gospel proclaimed gladly, excitedly. Um, we're hearing the confidence that we have in the gospel. Um, we're hearing that we've been redeemed. We're hearing that we've been set apart. We're hearing that we've been called to be followers of this Jesus. And now Peter's addressing these called ones. He's set apart ones, and he's saying with excitement, this is who you are. This is what has happened. And he's declaring the good news, the gospel. That's what we see in the the gospels. Jesus comes declaring the gospel of the kingdom. He becomes declaring the good news of the kingdom, that God is going to make it right. You hear the prophecies echoing in the, in the Old Testament. The light's going to come. It's going to shine. Gentiles are going to know that Jesus is king. There's going to be a connection of not just Jews with their Savior but a Gentiles. The, the world will know. This is good news. And so Peter's rehearsing this good news to these people who are scattered in Asia Minor and he's saying to them the exact same thing as we need to be saying to ourselves. Because this book is written, yes, to Peter's audience in Bithynia, in Galatia, in Asia Minor, but we have it here. And God says to us here, and the Spirit says to us here, listen to this good news. This is to you. This is a rehearsal of what God has done for us. And so, as we're, as we're hearing this, we need, to, we need to have our minds fixed on the, the salvation that we're hearing in these first 12 verses, it's a salvation that, that, as Jay has said, there's there's multiple tenses there. It's a salvation that has a that has a past tense to it. We have been justified. We sang. We've been justified at the cross of Christ. There's this divine exchange where Jesus takes our sin and our brokenness and gives us His righteousness. We've been stamped justified, right? So that's a our our salvation. You know, you think of the time when when your eyes were open to the truth of the gospel. The Spirit opened your heart and you accepted Christ. You are justified, okay? And so now then there's this present tense of our salvation, a present time where we are being sanctified. That's the word we use. We're being made more like Jesus Christ. And the good news of the gospel is that not only are we justified, but God is going to make us like Jesus. He's going to produce in us a glory by degrees that looks more and more like his. 2 Corinthians tells us that. And so that's our current salvation, our present salvation. It's to be a, a progressive move towards the image of Christ. And then finally, we'll have a glorification, a final salvation. We will no longer be bound in this sinful body to sin in our flesh, but we will be free from it and we will see our Savior as he sees us. We will know him as we are known. And that will be a wonderful day when we get to see. And last week, we were told to cast our hope on this this grace. And the appearing of Jesus Christ, we're going to see it. We're going to know. We're going to experience the height, the culmination of our salvation, these tenses. So then the church is benefiting, gets all the benefits, we, us, today, get all the benefits that the the prophets desired to look into, right? They were looking at this, and they were wondering how these things were going to happen and when they were going to come. Even the angels, even the angels wanted to uh, take a look at this. And so we are getting to experience now this, this hope. It's for us right now, this gospel. So the church, then Peter moves on through his introductory material here, and he says to us, this wonderful gospel is is exciting, and and it's good, and it's wonderful news, and it's multifaceted, and the angels want to see it, but also, listen to this, it says that it's to produce effects in us. So he moves from um, a a bunch of indicative statements we heard last week, right? These these statements, these comments about who God is and what God's done and who we are now, and then it moves to imperatives, to commands. And he makes that transition here. And several weeks we've been focused in on those indicatives, and now last week we were called to hope in God, to hope on this grace, to put our hope fully on that grace, and then also to be holy, right? We're called to be holy. And now, this third imperative here in this passage, uh, we heard this morning, is in verse 17. Let me read that real quick here. Verse 17. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each man's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And so, let me reiterate at this point, though, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Right? We don't bring anything to the table, but our brokenness and our stain of sin, God alone can redeem us through the work of Christ. And our ransom price, as we will see, is God's alone to give. Yet our redemption and our ransom moves us towards something as much as it moves us away from our futile ways, what we used to be, how we used to think. And so we need to see that tension here in this passage, and especially in this in this imperative. You know, if you call him father, who judges impartially according to each man's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile here. So we want to see that tension. If you call him father, and the way he says this here in, in it's like and if in the Greek. So the way he says this is is like a condition. If you call him father, and you do. And that was an implied thing. It's kind of like what we do with our, with our tone. And what you, that's what comes across here. If you, fall, if you call him Father, and you do, because we know we're writing to believers, we're, we're writing to people who have trusted in this good news and need to be rehearsing this good news. And he says, if you call him Father and you do, then act like it. Conduct yourself this way. And so what I want to see here first is that God... In this, in this passage, Peter wants us to see God as Father, first and foremost, if you call him Father, and you do. He is uh, opening the door here with this statement, really, of um, kind of like creating, by saying Father at the beginning, he's, he's kind of drawing our attention to what the following command needs to come from, a motivation where it needs to come from. So we need to understand a few things. First, Peter has moved us from uh, the Father doing the calling, right? The Father doing the, the, the electing. The Father doing the regeneration work. And now he's moving to us saying, Father. Now we're the ones doing, doing the calling. There, there's a response to the Father's work. And it's based on the character of the Father, we're going to see. So, Peter, first now moves us into um, what the Bible, Bible describes um, God as, as a very personal God. Um, think, think with me um, first, you know, in the Old Testament, um, we have a God who's a creator God. And then as the story, because it's a story, as it unfolds, we get to see God as a father. Um, think with me here. Uh, about Psalm 103 as I read. I want you to hear hear a couple of these comments uh, in Psalms and think of a father. Psalm 103, verse 13. He, as a father, shows compassion to his children. Now, in this whole Psalm here, he's going through, he said, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. He's done this. He's wonderful God. Um, bless his name. And then as a father, he does this. But he doesn't necessarily say, He's our father in this psalm. And so then, so then there's, this, there's this kind of a, like a father, he does this. He's called father, he's called our one God, but like a father. It's just a, it's just a, a description of how he acts. And then um, in Hosea, Hosea 11, if you all know that story, um, God calls his prophet Hosea to marry um, Marry a woman who's a prostitute, and he says, You bring her into your home and you love her. And she goes back to her sin and God says, Go by her and love her. And they have children, and God says, Love her like I love my people. And then she goes back into sin again and God says, Go get her and love her. And then in in Hosea um, chapter eleven. Verse 1, basically, God says, As a father, I have loved my people. Like, like a father who, who teaches a son how to walk, I've taught my people, I've loved them, I've cared for them. But still, we don't, we don't have them saying, Father. W- where do we get that? Where do we move from the Old Testament saying God is like a father? To when Peter says here, you call him father, where, where does that take place? Where is the transition? How can we do that? Because we were just like Hosea's bride. We go back to our sin and, and we, we turn from him and Israel ran from him and ran from him and ran from him. And, and so then what, do, what, what took place? What changed? What changed? So that Peter can say, "You call him Father." Matthew, chapter five, Jesus is talking, Sermon on the Mount, right? Five, verse thirteen, he says, "You are the salt of the earth, but if salt's lost its savor, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hid." Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light, so it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So then Jesus comes on the scene and he's talking about your Father. Where's the transition? How does he he make the switch in the Old Testament of talking as a Father and like a Father to now Jesus on the scene saying, your Father? Okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, again. So if you have, you have heard that it is said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good, Sends rain to the just and the unjust. For if you love those who, lo- uh, if you love, those who love you, what reward have you? Um, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And those were the bad people. Don't even the bad people love that same way? 47. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anybody else? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so we get this tension that we get in First Peter. Be holy as I am holy. How does that happen so that we're loved like a father to being loved um, and adored uh, and knowing that he's our father in First Peter? I think what Jesus is doing here, when he comes on the scene, he's giving them, uh, really he's acting out what we would call one of those offices. He is coming as their king at this point, their king to lead them, their king who is over them their priest, the one who is saying, you, you're my people. And not only that, he's functioning in their stead. We look at Romans. Look forward to Romans chapter 6. You see that it is in Jesus Christ that our life is bound. And when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, listen, listen, glorify your father this way, look this way. He's saying, I am now, you're with me. So he's taking a step into leadership that they didn't recognize. Some of them wanted it. They didn't know how it was going to happen. The disciples at the very end, even the disciples left him. But still, Jesus went to the cross and he took our place and he adopted all those who, John, John 17 invites us into this little little scene. God's pray, Jesus is praying to God, his Father, and says, all those who will believe in me through the preaching of these men, I am praying for them. I know that you will keep them. And so then Jesus goes to the cross having prayed for those that Peter says, you're called, you're redeemed. And Jesus says, I'm going for them to the cross. All who will believe in me, all who will trust in me, all those who will receive the benefits of the gospel, he's going to do that. So he's taking on that that scene there. He's taking on that fatherhood, that role, and he's bringing us to the cross. Along with himself, through his work, we come to the Father. And so that's why in Romans 8 <laughs> Paul can say, it's because of Jesus' work that we can cry out to our God, Abba, Father. It's because of Jesus' work and coming and saying, listen, you've got to be holy just like I'm holy. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You, this is how you should look. You should look like light. You should be salt. And so, so he's, he's putting this weight there and this emphasis there on the character that he's displaying for the people in their stead. Romans 6 said it was because of his work that we could cry out in Romans 8, Abba, Father. Not because of ours. And so, it's our union with Christ that allows us to, in this, in this verse, say, Father. If you call him Father, and we do, we say Father, then we conduct ourselves in this certain way. So, first, we have to know that, that, that being able to call God Father, not just being loved like a father loves his son, but being able to call him our father comes through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, through his shed blood. So then Peter describes God as Father, who judges impartially according to each man's deeds. So Peter modifies the name of Father to this audience, as um, just like it would be to hear as a judge who judges according to each man's deeds impartially. God is the standard of holiness that we saw last week. God is the standard of holiness that that Peter is calling uh, us to. And Peter is playing off of that here to remind us that God is also the judge of that holy standard. But he doesn't say, and if you call him judge, as you do. He says, if you call him father, as you do. Listen, God wants us to know. And Peter, through the Spirit, is telling us here, listen, look at my work. Look at the multifaceted grace that I have shown. Look at this. This is your motivation. He is your Father. He has done the work for you. In Jesus, you've been moved from being someone that's loved like a father loves his son to a son. In the blood of Jesus Christ. And so now not only can you call him judge, who's impartial, and judges according to a holy standard, but you can call him father. Think of that. Fear then is, is not a source um, of dread for us. It's a motivation. Peter says, listen, fear your father. So if you call him father, and you do, conduct yourselves... This way. So, what's he saying? He gives us again in, in the Psalms, if you would, Psalm 97. Think about this with me as I read this. Or, excuse me, 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For God, for great is your God, greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord, He made heaven, He made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are His. They're before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O oh, ye peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Uh, verse nine: Worship the Lord in splendor of His holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the Lord is established. It shall, um, it shall not be moved. He will judge his peoples with equity. He has the final say. Let the let the heavens um, be glad. Let the earth rejoice. The last verse 13. Before the Lord He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and his peoples in faithfulness. So this is talking about this God. Who loves us as a father, and he does this work in the Old Testament um, in, in multifaceted ways. All through all through the stories, you see God loving and, and adoring um, his his people, and and then you see at times his people rejoicing and seeing his salvation and adoring him back and worshiping him. But you see you see the thing there that God is righteous, and we're to fear him. He's the king, not the idols of this world. He's the king, not the ways of this world. He's the judge, not the judges of this world. So then we have, we have a different motivation there. It's not fear him dread, him, dread him, run from him. It is worship him. It's live for him. He's the king that's worthy, not these idols. He's the king that holds the heavens. He's the king that made us. He's the king that's worthy of our worship and praise. So our fear is not a dread. Our fear is not a doubt. Our fear is not a, a guilty groveling. Our fear is, is a holy motivation that he is worthy of every moment of our life. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, what, what is it? It's a reasonable thing for us to give up our whole lives as a sacrifice of worship for the Lord. Not being conformed to this world we heard last week, but being transformed, changed. Our whole life is a worship to this God. Our whole life is a response of holy fear, Holy awe to this God. He's worthy of worship. Not this world's systems, not its ways, not the futile things that you were, you were taught here by your forefathers. So we see this then that first he's our father, and then he's the one who judges impartially. First, Peter is reminding us that we need to trust in him and cry out to him as father and fear him. With a holy fear, Acts ten thirty four is another passage I wanted to uh, pop in here. So Peter opened his mouth and said, "Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation." Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And this is Peter following the cross. Peter, a boldened witness. Peter, a confident preacher, ready to say that it is fear, it is all people who fear him, who worship him as king. That is where Peter wants us to hear right now in First in Peter. That's where we need to be thinking. All those who turn from fearing other gods, worshiping other gods to the sovereign King who's over all things. That's the kind of fear, the motivation that's coming here. So if you call him father, as you do, conduct yourselves in fear. The one who judges impartially, this father who is holy, the one who doesn't say it's all right to have other gods, fear him. So you see, he's our father and not just our judge. And what are the reasons that we call him Father? What are the reasons that we conduct ourselves in fear? We look at the last, um, last little bit here of this passage, and we're going to see first that we were ransomed from our feudal ways. These not bought with perishable things as silver and gold. This world's currency doesn't doesn't work on the marketplace where God says holy or unholy, justified or condemned. Our money, our silver and gold, Peter says, it's worthless. It's futile. First John chapter two says this world and its systems, its way of thinking, it's passing away. The pride of life, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, those are all passing away. What remains? The holy God, the impartial judge, he rules. The end of First John, weird verse, popped in right at the end. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The whole of the Old Testament is full of idolatry. We're still struggling with the same thing today. We have to say, I fear God, not the idols of this world, we can't put our trust in the things of this world, in the systems of this world. They're going to go away. The lies that Satan tel- told Eve, did, he, did God really say you would die? The same lies we're hearing today. Did God really say, should you really act this way? Is he really going to come again and judge? Yes, he is. And he's the one we call father. So if you call him father, then conduct yourself this way before the one who doesn't get destroyed in the end, before the one who is holy, before the one who not only is holy, but has ransomed us and redeemed us from this futile way of thinking, this futile way of living. Listen, God has pulled us out of this world system and has said, fear me, conduct yourself in a certain way, in a certain way that honors me. We weren't redeemed with silver and gold that perishes, but we were redeemed, as we sang, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Think about this. The precious blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that redeems. Look, we have a history of the whole Old Testament. First, God, made, God makes the earth. It's very good. Then it's filled with good creatures, plants, trees, everything. He fellowships with his creation. We're at peace. Enter Satan. Deception. Doubt. Fear. Guilt. Blame. Finally, the curse. Death. Then the first animal is, is killed to clothe these sinners. Death. Blood. Adam and Eve. They're clothed, but only in skins. They eventually die. Abraham blesses his um gives god blesses him gives him a son then abraham dies his son actually dies years later then god comes and rescues again through more spilled blood death spotless lamb from every family in egypt was to be sacrificed the blood spread on the doorpost angel lord comes over and death but then there's life in those in those pictures there's people that are spared through the blood but then death still reigns from Adam to Christ. Christ comes. The blood is shed. It's on the cross. And no longer do we get death. We get life. The precious blood of Jesus Christ is the only blood that could take us out of the futile ways of this world and redeem us and change us and transform us and make us holy. Right? It's the only way. His sacrifice, His shed blood. And it's not Hebrews says it's a once-for-all sacrifice. We don't have to do this again. We don't have to wait again. It's done. His blood is enough, and his blood cries out for us at the mercy seat. Jesus, my mediator, the one who said, we People are to act this way because we are to be holy. And Jesus takes us and gives us his righteousness and takes our sin at the cross. And he says, in me, united with me, you can call him father. And you don't have to bring your sin because I took care of it. And so now we look forward to the hope that one day we'll stand before God and we don't have our baggage anymore. We don't have our broken bodies and our sinful, cursed life. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ bought by his precious blood. That's so much better. And it's something only God could do. We know that he does the work because it says God foreknew jesus to be the one before the foundation of the world to come and give you life he was made manifest for us revealed for us at the last time the angels wanted to see it the prophets wanted to see it they wanted to figure out but jesus was made known and revealed and manifest so that we could have life that we could experience the precious blood of jesus god raised him from the dead god gave him glory Ephesians 1 talks about the glorious grace of God. It's all to God's praise. All of that in Christ stuff that you see in Ephesians, it's because of God's work. God, the one we call Father, the one who judges impartially and has judged our sins at the cross, His precious blood is what motivates us now to walk in fear not a groveling doubt that we will maybe not really please our God, but a holy fear and an awe that it has been completed, the work has been done, and Jesus wants us to act like him. So, our faith then is Jesus, in Jesus alone, through God. Our redemption is by the precious alone blood of Jesus Christ alone, through the foreknowledge of God, revealed in Christ for our sakes. (sighs) Only by and through the work of Christ can we rightly fear a holy judge at all. J.I. Packer was a guy, um, a brilliant, brilliant man, and he, he said this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, Find out how much he makes the thought of being God's child, how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as Father. If this is not uh, the thought that prompts and controls his worship, and prayers, and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament the New Testament and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name of God, and we get to call him Father. We call him Father so don't try to earn again the favor that we have in Christ. We call him Father, so don't fret about the guilt of your sin. Run to your Father, the one who says, I will forgive you. He's done that in Jesus, and he says, you confess your sins that I will forgive you. I am faithful to do that because I am your Father. No longer am I your judge. Live as though your whole life and your whole life of your existence as a spiritual worship to your Father. A life not conformed to this world, not beat into its mold, but a life that looks like the character of our Father, that looks like our King. A life that's changed and transformed, that looks like Jesus. If you call Him Father, act like it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your love. We pray that this morning our lives would not um, be lives of doubt and fear, but a life of fear and awe, an awe of your holiness and your kindness and your grace. Amen.